Acts, we're in chapter 11. Now, Luke is going to introduce us. He's been introducing us, obviously, to the different characters and leaders and experiences in the Holy Spirit throughout the, this session in the book of Acts. Now he's going to introduce us to a very special church. It's a unique church. It becomes the true blueprint for the church. Remember this, that the church in Jerusalem was birthed by the authority of the twelve as a witness to Israel that Jesus is their Messiah. They stayed in Jerusalem. They weren't supposed to. They were supposed to go, but they didn't know any better. Sometimes we just don't know. We're ignorant, you know? God tolerates ignorance. How many of you know that? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jesus. And so that church was supposed to expand. It stayed in the Jewish realm and so forth. But we looked last week at Peter going to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit pouring out. And I, I just love what Peter says as he's recapping that situation. He says this in uh, chapter 11. Uh, and he explains it all. He said, Who was I that I should stand in God's way? They're questioning, why did you baptize those Gentiles? Why did you do this, that? Who am I to stand in God's way? They received the Holy Spirit like we did. And so the Jerusalem church was, was locked into their mission thinking it was successful when God had a bigger mission and a greater success. Some of you have achieved some successes. Some of you have been blessed. Some of you are like, yeah, I did it. We got through. And it's like, okay, that was kindergarten. I've got something greater for you. And that's what God has for his church. Now, we're going to selectively go through chapters 11 and portions of 12 because uh, we're going to just focus on this very unique church. It is a unique model of what the New Testament church is supposed to look like. And so God begins to do that work in verse 19. Now to those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, do you see what we're dealing with for Jerusalem? Oh, by the way, Stephen was stoned in Jerusalem, wasn't he? And who was the guy that was the head of that? Saul. But in the meantime, we found out Saul got saved. Praise God. But here now the expansion is going out. The church is going. And so what do they do? They do what they know. They go out to the Jews and preach Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. But something else begins to happen. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, the Greeks. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this report, the report of this, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to go see what's going on. Remember how Peter and John came down to see what was going on in Samaria. So they're getting these points. The gospel is reaching more than just the Jews. But what I want you to see are three things tonight. What we're going to look at is the church is people. 
We're talking about Antioch, but the unique thing about Antioch isn't the architecture of the church. It's not the location on the ground within the city. It's not based on whether they had flashy, a flashy sign out front of the church. Did they use bulletins or did they have overheads? Did they have lights or not? It's none of that. It was the people of Christ. It's, it's the children of God. It's the relationships that's going to build here. Because let's take a look at who came. He says, who was it? He identifies some of the men who were from Cyprus and Cyrene. We read through that stuff and go, okay, yeah, so what, cool. Let's find out who they were. Now, it says this, first of all, in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, one of the seven deacons was Nicholas. He was from Antioch. So one of the seven deacons, remember, Stephen was a deacon. Philip was a deacon. And they're going out and having ministry. They're preaching and teaching Stephen successfully to where they wanted to stone him. Philip, remember, had the revival in Samaria. Then he goes off and he preaches to an Ethiopian. The gospel's going out. Well, another deacon comes forth. His name's Nicholas. He leaves Jerusalem. He goes back to his hometown, Antioch, and he begins preaching to Greek people. So there are certain people who are who are moving forward. Now we know Barnabas comes down. Barnabas is in fact from Cyprus. Acts chapter 4 verse 36 tells us that Barnabas grew up in Cyprus. See, men of Cyrene and Cyprus, there's something about it. What if they said those people from Roseville? What if they said those people from Christ's community? See, something was in those from Cyprus and Cyrene that they said, we got to go further we got to do something. You know, there's uh, crowds of people, but it's the ones who will go past the crowds and stand out. It's our, our people to stand out. So the people from Cyrus and Cyprus began to do something. Nicholas the deacon began to move. Barnabas began to move. He's a, a Levite from Cyprus. Then guess who else was there from Cyrene? Simon. Does anybody know who Simon was? In the Gospels, Jesus is carrying his cross and he falls to the ground no longer being able to carry it. Who do they get to carry the cross? Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. The guy that carried Jesus' cross in that last trek to Golgotha becomes part of the church. Why do we know that? It's him because Mark tells us in Mark 15, 21 that he has two children, Rufus and Alexander. He's there with his two boys, Rufus and Alexander, and they call him out to carry Jesus' cross. He has an experience to where after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the man obviously gets saved. And so much so that at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says this, salute Rufus for me, the chosen in the Lord and his mother. So Simon of Cyrene comes to Antioch and is ministering there with this group. 
it's cool how all of a sudden these characters, these different people are gathering together and being used. Now, he had such an experience in the Lord, he taught his two boys about Jesus and he taught his wife about Christ. And his wife was had such an impression on Paul, Paul says, hey, when you get to, uh, when you're there at Rome, salute or say hello to Rufus, the chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. The, the wording of it is, is that Simon of Cyrene's wife, the mother of Rufus and Alexander, had such an impact on the apostle Paul, he says, she's like a mother to me. And so Barnabas is sent down. And as Barnabas is sent to Antioch by the other apostles, because something's starting to move and shake, God's starting to move in the city of Antioch, because you have the people of Cyrene and Cyrus uh, coming together. Cyprus and Cyrene. And you've got Nicholas. You've got Simon, Alexander, Rufus, and his wife. And then Barnabas goes down, and now Barnabas is seeing this kind of activity. He's the apostolic representation from Jerusalem. What he begins to see, he says, I need to get something going here. I got to get me somebody who's strong and powerful in an anointing of God. Huh, who should I get? Yeah, let's go get Saul. So he goes down to Tarsus. Because Saul's hanging out. Remember he tried preaching and people were kind of scared of him. Then they wanted to kill him and he had to escape at night. So then he goes back home to hang out. Barnabas says, I need you now. This is about eight years after Saul's conversion. And, and he goes and he gets Saul. So now you've got this cast of characters of, of people that were connected to Jesus and each other in different ways. These are relationships that are developing. And guess what they, they decide? They, you know what they said? You know, Barnabas says, you know what? I'm going to ask my nephew. Since I'm down here, I'm going to ask my nephew, John Mark, to come with us to Antioch. Does anybody know who John Mark is? What's he end up doing? He writes the Gospel of Mark. He becomes... Barnabas and Saul's catechizer or interpreter and translator for wherever they're speaking, and later he becomes Peter's translator and scribe, and later becomes the first writer of the first gospel. We're seeing the church in its infant stages of relationships. We're seeing someone who carried the cross of Jesus, who taught his children and his wife to come minister in Antioch. And as they're gathered together in Antioch, Paul, this young upstart preacher, is going to come. And Rufus's wife is going to have such an impression on him. And then you got John Mark coming into this thing. But you know what? John Mark's a young guy, and he's a little bit nervous. Eventually, he's going to go with Paul and Barnabas. But you know what? He's going to fail them. But it's all right. Because out of the relationships, they're going to restore each other. See, we read these things and we look at God doing this and God doing that. But you know what? It's a bunch of flawed people that he's working with. And they're coming together. And some of them don't get along. In fact, Paul and Barnabas end up arguing so much that they break their relationship. Have you ever had a, had a broken relationship with another brother or sister? Time can heal it and can restore it. 
Let me ask you this. How many of you are here because someone invited you to this church? How many of you found this church on your own? All right, it almost looks like 50-50. One more time, how many of you came to this church because of relationship with someone else? Okay. How many of you found it all on your own? Okay, that's cool. How many of you have met someone else here? Good, I hope so. <laughs> There's not too many of us. I hope you're, you know, finding out about each other, getting to know each other. Have, how, how many of you have seen, let's say, you, you just, you know, you've been here for a while and you've seen someone and you see them growing in the Lord? Okay, cool. See, this is no different than the church at Antioch. Some guy that started out as a deacon serving tables is now going to become one of the leaders in, this, in the church at Antioch. Paul, who was in fact the biggest enemy of the church, is going to come to that church and you're going to see him transformed. Barnabas is sent by authority of the, the 12 to be the apostle over this church and you see his heart. His heart, he's called the, he's called the, the son of the paraclete, the son of the Holy Spirit because he's such a comforter and encourager. And he brings his nephew, young little whippersnapper, come on, <laughs> little youth group, right? Starts a youth group with Mark. And so they're, they're gathered together. A church is a gathering of people. So it's not about, let's recruit, you know, let's, let's go recruit an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, an apostle, a prophet. No, that's us. That's us. Okay? That's you. There was a word given tonight, the word you had tonight, I think it was you, uh, that, that God has more than what you expected, what you even thought. God has greater things for you. See, we might be an Antioch church in its early stages. I know we've been around 30 years, but we're slow starters. <laughs> Is that all right? I mean, that's a testimony in and of itself. We've held the line of the gospel. And I'm just trying to get something very simple across to you, that this powerhouse of a church that is going to become the key church to the missionary movement to the nations started off with people who kind of knew each other and saw each other and had different experiences, and they came together and they began to work together under the unction of the Holy Spirit. All right? It says in chapter 11, verse 21, and the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. How, how do you think that happened? How did they infiltrate this city, this town? What do you think happened? I'm thinking that a, a cloud of glory came and fell on the city and a flaming fire went up and down the streets and they just came to the church and people started flooding in. What do you think? Yeah, and what does that mean they went about preaching the gospel? Yeah, they just met people and told them about Jesus. That's it. That's it. And among them, they begin to grow. 
it says that at Antioch, the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians there. Right? They were of the way. They were following Jesus. But in this town, they get labeled Christians. So what does that mean? What a, a Christian we're so used to the term, we say, well, that's a follower of Jesus. But for them, first of all, Christos is a Greek word for what Hebrew word? Messiah. Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Okay? And Messiah is the Hebrew word which means anointed one. Anointed one. So, to be a Christian, a Christ, Christian, <laughs> is to be a Messiah follower. These are the Messiah followers. This is really important because it is at this juncture, Christianity is no longer considered a sect of Judaism. See, as long as they were in, in Jerusalem, they were preaching to who? Jews. At the beginning of this chapter, it says they all went out. They were dispersed. God dispersed them, and all they did was witness to Jews. They weren't known as Messiah followers. They were known as Jews. But here, they're preaching to the Greeks, and they're preaching Jesus is the Messiah to both Jew and Gentile, and so now they're Messiah followers, they're Messiah uh, fanatics. They're all about, yeah, they're Jesus freaks. They're all about anointed ones. And so now they're called Christians. You know what's sad? We can't use that term much anymore because Christian no longer means being obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now it just is a term. For most people overseas, they think all Americans are Christians. And that's not the case, is it? I mean, there's a lot of people who identify and call themselves Christians because they were born in America. That is not Christianity. There are people who go to a church, uh, you know, they get baptized and they get buried at a church. They don't step one foot in the church, but they consider themselves a Christian. I'm not judging their performance, but based on the Word of God, they don't sound like Jesus' followers. Now, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You have to follow Jesus to be a Christian. But in the, in the first stages of people first called Christ-like ones or Jesus' people, Messiah followers, there was a distinct difference. Now, what happens in this church is it begins to set up a five-fold administration. It begins to release the giftings and the callings. You see, why did the Jerusalem church send Barnabas? Who's in Jerusalem? James, John, the twelve. Remember, everybody else left. The twelve are at the church in Jerusalem. So the authority of the church, here's about Antioch. 
you know, Peter comes back and he's telling them about what happened with Cornelius and they're still not getting it, right? But something's going on. Greeks are getting saved and, and Gentiles are getting saved in Antioch. There's a revival like there was in Samaria. Peter says, all right, let's send an authority down there, Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas was up for the vote to be one of the 12, meaning that Barnabas fulfilled the qualifications. He was with Jesus from the beginning, from the baptism to the end to the resurrection. But they send Barnabas as the apostolic authority over this thing to make sure what would be his job. Tell me what Apostle Barnabas, and he is called an apostle in Scripture, New Testament Scripture. He is not one of the 12 foundational apostles. He is of the office gifting of apostle. Okay? There's 12 other New Testament characters called apostle. They're not the 12 founding apostles. It's, a, it's part of the administration of the church. What, why would you send an apostle to go see what's going on in this upstart church in Antioch? What would he be doing? Why would he go? What would he be looking for? Set up leadership? What makes him the boss? Why should we let him do that? Yeah, but why not vote? Why don't we just have a secret ballot? I vote for Bobby to be. May not be qualified so he can see. It's got to be order and leadership. What does he want to make sure, as an apostle, what does he want to make sure is being done? Give me some things. The gospel is being preached properly, right? We don't need a strange doctrine coming in. Right? So we've got to make sure the doctrine is right. Apostles protect the doctrine of the gospel. Keep order. What else do you think? Yeah. Making sure people are baptized and should be qualified for baptism. We don't want baptism to become just some kind of a religious rite. We want to make sure people are having a born-again experience. Right? So we need that level of Scrutiny. Is that okay to do that? Don't be the judge of me. I can do what I want. No, there needs to be order and semblance and authority. Yes. See, we would call him an overseer because we're uncomfortable. Many denominations are uncomfortable with the word apostle. So they'd call him an overseer, which means apostle. But we don't want to use that language. Mainly because of the confusion as to the 12 verses, the New Testament office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There is a distinction between the two. The 12, the only qualified for the 12 is they had to be with Christ Jesus at the beginning of his ministry to his end and see him risen from the dead. Now there was only a select few, they only had two that they voted on to replace Judas. Then once they sealed those 12, that's it. That's the authority of the church to protect the doctrine. But if that was it, why are there 12 other people in the New Testament called apostles? Because they're not the foundational apostles of the 12, the apostles of the Lamb sent by Jesus. These are those in the church operating in the administration and oversight and leadership capacity in the term apostle that are called out by the Holy Spirit with that gifting. 
Okay? So that's apostles. Uh, I thought I saw a hand somewhere. Someone. Okay. Jerusalem sends Barnabas for an apostle. Then we go on and we read. You guys will need to read this. I'm not reading it verse by verse. But they go on and read and they say that there was a prophet there. It says in verse 27, And now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So now you have prophets in the church. We have apostles. We have prophets. Okay? And in fact, later on, it says in chapter 13, verse 1, now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So we've got apostles. We've got prophets. We've got teachers. Okay? What's missing? Do we, can, we, can it be a given that there were evangelists? Because people were getting saved and they were going out in the streets evangelizing. So now we've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. What do we need? Pastors or shepherds. All right? It doesn't mention them, but I would imagine that that is going to be part of the makeup of the church as well. A healthy church develops the fivefold ministry. This is what we're trying to accomplish in this church by the teaching and in the instruction of what the fivefold is. So that it is not just the king pastor who rules and reigns, but people are operating in apostolic leadership. Many of you have that apostolic DNA. I just went through a series on this. Go to the website if you hadn't heard it. Some of you operate in prophetic. Some of you are evangelistic. Some of you are shepherding, caring, ministering, nurturing. Some of you are teachers. It's that fivefold DNA of Jesus that makes a church super healthy. Because no matter what comes through that door, they're coming through that door because our evangelists went out and drew them in. They're going to be edified, comforted, and exhorted by what? Prophecy. Apostles are going to make sure that the decisions and the oversight of things are going to go well. The shepherds are going to care for the wounded and broken people. And the teachers are going to mature people and instruct them in the Word of God. Huh. Seems like that would be a really good equipping for the church. But isn't it funny that that the modern church has eliminated two of those positions. Apostles and prophets. Obviously, there have been a number of abuses with those titles. Authoritative abuses. But if operated properly, as Jesus says, disciples should serve and be the least, we should be able to restore apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And that's what's unique about this church. So the prophet stands up and says, there's going to be a famine in the land. And chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, let me read it to you. Here's the people's response. So the disciples determined, see now everybody in that church is called a disciple. The disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Famine coming to the land. The people in Judea are going to be really hungry. We're in Antioch. We're north of Judea. What do you guys want to do about it? It's a prophecy. It came from the word of the Lord. Tell me. Prophecy was given. It says the disciples determined. 
What does that look like to you? What does that sound like? What happened? Congregational meeting. They talked about it, voted about it, discussed it. But they qualified something, didn't they? There's a qualifier here. Did they say, okay, I think we need to help these people. I think everybody here needs to give $1,000. Oh, who came up with that? They did. Praying into it, fasting into it. What's the best thing? So if we hear a prophecy, that's it. Go. Just do what he says. What does Paul say about prophecies? Weigh them. Check them. All right? God gives us leading. God gives us word. But we need the people of God to discern and to figure this out. Right? I mean, what did the 12 apostles do when there was a a fight between the, the Hellenistic widows and the Jerusalem widows and the apostles said, man, I'm, these ladies are driving me nuts. What did they say? You choose. You choose seven among you. But they gave them qualifiers filled with the Spirit that you've seen ministering, right? And they came up with seven people. And they came up with seven people who were Greek so that the Greek widows wouldn't feel slighted. That's smart, isn't it? So here we get a prophetic word. There's a famine coming to the land. So I would imagine, give me some discussion that could have been in that discussion. What can we do to help them? All right, yeah, we've got to prepare ourselves too, right? If there's a famine coming to the land, what's going to happen? I mean, this is a good discussion to say, let's, let's say, hmm, what if our economy fails? Hmm. What if there's a shortage of food? Huh. What if the government becomes so oppressive that they are going to force us to do this and this? What if they say you can no longer gather together as a church? Of course, all of these are speculative. None of that would dare happen today, would it? So why aren't we talking like this? Do you know what I mean? What? Planning. We need to plan. All right, what about someone, do you think someone in the, someone in the group says, why should I help them? I barely have enough for myself. Could that possibly be someone's attitude? Sure. Because they might have all said, yeah, oh my gosh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's everybody, you sell your car, you sell your house, let's get as much money as we can together. Everybody sacrifice. And someone says, hey, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You have excess. I don't. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I can't do that. So, okay, so they came up with a qualifier and they said, you know what? As you are able. Did they say 10%? No. Did they say, I want to count that offering and you meet with us and I'm going to discuss whether I think it's enough or not? That would be leadership abuse, wouldn't it? Give, right? Cheerfully give as you feel led, as you've determined between you and God. Paul talks about that. So I'm just trying to help the scriptures get unveiled from this 
this idea that it's beyond what we're experiencing. I don't think it was any different than this, guys, gals, everybody. (laughs) So he says, the disciples, as each one is able to, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I want to go back to that relational thing. We see people here, and if you would understand where Cyrene is, Simon of Cyrene, it's a northern Africa city. All right? So, uh, traditionally, Simon, his two sons, his wives, are from Africa. So, you've got racial people coming together. You've got Greeks coming together. You've got Jews coming together. You've got Africans coming together. There may be some Ethiopians coming on up overwards because the Ethiopian eunuch had been spreading the gospel. So in Antioch, we've got a multicultural church being formed as opposed to the Jerusalem church that was ethnocentric, wasn't it? Jewish. So this is our model. Last of all, this is what they decided to do. Giving, sending, and and, uh, expanding. We're going to jump to chapter 13, verse 1, because that deals with this church. So, what we have together is this. Uh, they, They did this. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, let me go back to chapter 11, 29 to 30. They each, as each is able, decided to provide help to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders in Jerusalem. By whom? Barnabas and Saul. Something's happening to Barnabas and Saul. Yeah, what's going on with those two? They're getting raised up. Barnabas was sent by Jerusalem to come to Antioch. It would make sense that he's going to bring what they've decided back to Jerusalem and give a report on that church. And he's wanting Saul to go with him. He's the the one who went down to Tarsus to get Saul, right? And so now he's, he's having Saul accompany him. Saul's second fiddle to Barnabas. All right, so we see some elevation there. We see Barnabas and Saul. This could be the beginning of a good partnership. (laughs) Yeah. How many of you have gone on, uh, done some ministry here at the church and were partnered with somebody else that you didn't know? Okay. You do something together. You partner with someone. You get to know them, don't you? And then you... Short-term mission teams. Bagels, serving bagels. Coming October 2nd. (laughs) All right, last of all, let's go to chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So we know there was apostles, we know there's prophets, we know there's teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, 
that means he was a wealthy guy, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. What do you notice about this verse? See, now this is after Saul and Barnabas delivered the money that the Antioch church raised. Oh, I thought this was like a spiritual church. What do they care about money? Does money matter? Yeah. Money matters. Because that buys food for the people who need it. Right? So they gather up their money, as everybody could give. Saul and Barnabas take it to Jerusalem. Then they come back. They're at a worship service. They're praying. He highlights a few of the, the key people that are there from different nations and this and that. Okay? Niger meaning black. Africans. Cyrenes. Cyprus. Different racial people gathered together. Greek. Jews. Hebrew. Come, rich. Poor. Coming together. And the Holy Spirit says, now how does that happen? Okay, so either a word of knowledge, someone had to speak, maybe a prophet, maybe uh, a word of knowledge, tongue interpretation. Somebody under the unction of the Holy Spirit called out, separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. So Saul and Barnabas got up, packed their bags, and left. They what? What do you got to fast and pray for? I mean, we got a word from God. Do it. Again, we weigh this. Do you know how many people I have had to work with who've gotten in trouble because they, they heard a word of prophecy or they, they, someone told them, thus saith God over them, or you need to divorce your wife and marry that one, and goofy stuff. <laughs> Just because there's a word, Pastor Ron always gives us that, that illustration to candle it. What does candle it mean? It's, it's what chicken farmers do with eggs to see if there's a living animal in that egg. They put it up to a candle and look inside, and you can see whether it has been fertilized or not. If it hasn't, you throw it in a bucket to the baker. If it is fertilized, you throw it in the bucket to become Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. Ooh. <laughs> wow. I got to come over on this side. <laughs> Veggies are over there. Uh, all right, so we candle it. So there was a word of prophecy given, separate to me, Saul and Barnabas. I've got to work for them. But then they did what? They fasted and prayed to find God's direction in it. When should Saul and Barnabas leave? Hmm, didn't think about that. Maybe there's some things they need to figure out. How can they go? Who's going to fund this trip? Right? And who's going to take their position when they leave? So we read these things, we think it's also Holy Ghost, super spiritual, great, but there's real practicality behind all of this. There's nothing wrong with finding out, wait, let's figure out what God's saying for us to do. 
If God's telling you to move from your job, don't quit tomorrow. Find out the timing. Find out the provisions. Find out his leading. Does that make sense? Because a lot of people get in trouble with this. So after they fasted and prayed, then what did they do? What is this laying hands thing? Okay, but what does it mean to lay hands? Impart authority. Who imparts authority? Leaders. The higher authority imparts authority to the lesser. These men are going out under the authority of the Holy Spirit, but through the ministry of the Antioch church. They're covering. Why do we need covering? Spiritual protection. Financial help. Make sure they do things right. Accountability. I'm, no, I'm only accountable to Jesus. How many of you heard leaders that say that? I don't need to belong to any organization or be under anybody's authority. I'm under God. And that's when you say, okay, I've got to go now. I, I'm trying to bring a real practical application to the functioning of the Holy Spirit. Was there a move of the Holy Ghost? Were people getting saved radically and wonderfully coming into the church? Yes. But was there leadership put over it? Were there positions of authority? Was there structure and order? Did it hinder the Holy Spirit? No. The Holy Spirit's still talking, prophesying. And under that prophecy, the sense of caring and urgency of compassion for other brothers and sisters. So then they agree and work that out and send the finance to them. And then when they're back together, the Holy Spirit pours out and says, send these two guys, I've got a big work for them to do. I don't know if there was jealousy. What would you pick Saul for? Guy's such a loser, man. I've had perfect church attendance. He's a baby Christian. I've served longer than him. I carried Jesus' cross. Come on, Simon just trumps everybody on that one. Yeah, but Simon, you have a place in the Antioch church for something, right? We all have, there's shifting and moving. There should be no jealousies, okay? You don't want to be, listen, don't envy somebody else's position. You don't know what they had to go through to get there. You want to take Saul's place? Do you want to have that sense of killing Stephen? Do you want to have what he had to go through? No, 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 no. You take your ministry. (laughs) All right, so all I'm trying to say, this is a unique church that's tremendously being used by God. It's a collection of people from all other nations that the gospel is now pouring out to. God is building it, structuring it with his fivefold leadership. He's causing them to be a blessing to the mothership. Right? Here the upstart is now supporting the mothership and the authorities there. And they're beginning to operate, and God is deciding, I'm going to use this church to begin my ministry to the nations. And it is a Pentecostal, full gospel church, rightfully 
being under the leadership of a mature body of people. That's what God wants to do. I want to believe that for us. How about you? Amen. Let's bow our heads.